You're listening to Bits and Pieces, a show about music from both sides, from creator and as listener. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards. And I'm the other host, Matt Duncan. And before we actually get into our topics today, I thought it'd be nice to take a second and and explain uh, our backgrounds in music. So I'm from Denver, Colorado, and I've played in a couple projects, uh, most prominently Genetic Engines, which uh, was a band that grew out of an album I put out a few years ago. Um, very sort of rock, indie rock kind of stuff. And I also play in a project called Montropo, which is, has a little more folky, poppy side to it. Um, and so I, I'm sort of in the, the struggling independent, hasn't quite cracked into anything statewide or national, but more just playing locally, trying to make good recordings. And how about yourself, Matt? Career-wise, I guess we're kind of at the same point that, uh, right there. I mean, I play in two bands. One of them is the Astray and the electro-rock indie pop duo, which sort of like sounds a bit Deepish Mode-esque. And a more hard rock project called Salt the Skies, uh, where we have four people. And yeah, we also play locally a bit. We record our stuff on our own, in our own home studio. But other than a few radio plays and a few downloads here and there, there's nothing really big that's happened yet so the hope is that while we can't speak from a like a a super successful place of like this is what worked totally to launch (laughs) you into the stratosphere and maybe that's not (laughs) that would be cool um not everyone's goal is that anyway but hopefully we hope to speak from a place of down to earth and also as avid listeners and appreciators of music and not just hey listen to our stuff yeah Um, (laughs) so but one of the joys of playing music is trying to get live shows together. And that's sort of our first topic today. Yeah, because the funny thing is, I mean, you're always struggling to, to, to play live and to, to get out there, get on stage and get some experience and just show people, uh, uh, show people what you've created. And from time to time, you're in the luck that people actually ask you to play somewhere, which is always a nice feeling. So you get a message that you have, I don't know, on your Facebook page or an email asking you to play a gig. And then it turns out that, yeah, all they're saying is like, okay, we've got a date and we've got a place. If you're lucky, you've, you get a, you get a venue named. Um, sometimes it's just uh, the city in which you need to play, <laughs> which was the case with us uh, last week. That's wild. Just like come to this city. Yeah. There's only a thousand <laughs> possible places of varying quality you might be playing at. So, so and then that's it. So we, we get a gig request that's about two lines and then three lines of greetings. So naturally you're like, okay, I'm kind of interested, but I need to know a bit more. But yeah. then you start asking questions and you don't get any response or you get uh, excuses or it's just, I don't know. It bothers me so, a bit. <laughs> so here's a divide that I'm wondering if it's the same for your experience in Germany. Um, yeah. My vibe when when a band asks me to play, like it's like we're, we're putting together a show. Do you want to join our lineup? That's way more like probably a good thing. Yeah, sure. Then w- when a venue contacts you out of the blue, and especially when they don't give you any information, you're just like, 
are they just filling out like some list? Like it's just a quota. Like yeah. we just got to have music and you really don't know if it's going to be like a terrible event that no one shows up to or if it's going to be actually a, a cool show. Yeah. Usually we made the experience that it's like they, they booked three bands. One of them jumped ship and then, uh, you got to jump in there. And most of the time the genre doesn't even fit. Yeah. I hate that. Like. I don't want to play with bands where like there's very little chance of overlap in our audience. Yeah. And it's like I realize people can like more than one genre of music, but usually when it's like, hey, I'm going to a rock show, I don't really want to see the singer-songwriter dude. Yeah. Or vice versa. If you came to see like soft, pretty acoustic songs, you don't really want this loud band to start tearing up the stage. And the thing is I I don't want to I really don't want to sound ungrateful. It's, it's like I'm I'm really happy anytime anybody asks like hey you guys want to play here or there or somewhere. But if there's really no information or if the if they do say something like yeah we can get you some drinks and a pizza. Um please drive here for 2 hours and oh uh we can't get give you give you any gas money. That's <laughs> I see that as a problem, to be honest. I'm yeah. really not in the, in this thing to make, to make money anyway. I just want to have fun, but at, I want to at least play in front of a room of people in it. And yeah. I guess not make a loss or at least not that much of a loss. And then I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine with a lot of things and, uh, that's okay, but please. Tell me in advance yeah. what it's all about and don't make me, don't, the thing is, don't make me ask those questions. Just and tell this it is reminding advice. me of, in the, in a couple of my college bands, one of them we were called the Modern Soviet Enemies, we ended up playing some shows on campus, and these weren't like cool party house shows. We did a bunch of those too, but this was more like on-campus official event shows, which are always kind of a, a crapshoot. Um, you know, they're at like 7 p.m., and you got to hope people stick around <laughs> campus and don't go to actual parties or bars and come to see your show. Uh, where they can't serve alcohol, but there was this touring band and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, I don't know, should I not call them out by name? Uh, you can mangle their name a bit, do a pun on them. Okay. Something. I feel like I got to call them out. Their, their name was Wests and let me spell this. It was W E S T Z. And I have no idea how you pronounce that, but the reason I bring them up is, so this is like a crappy show. It's like an on-campus official event that isn't well attended. Like there were probably, you know, maybe 20 or 30 people, but it was a huge room. So it just feels like no one's there, even if you could have packed a house and it would have been like an awesome party. And I just remember hearing demands from that band of what they wanted. Like they had a specific stage size, which, you know, for like an actually huge band touring, you probably would need those specifications yeah. if you have like 30 people and you have a violin section. I, I mean, I have, we have in our stage rider, we have a minimum stage size, which is about, let me just, uh, put that into feet. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> eight feet my, times my four. My car gets 40 rods to <laughs> yeah. the hogshead. Um, and I'm not saying that having specifications is automatically a problem, but this was four guys. It was not a giant orchestra. And backup singers and like, you actually need the space. It was like, yeah, you're just four guys. Like, are you, you like running around and like sliding on your stomach across the stage or something? <laughs> um, they wanted six white towels. There's still again, four guys, water bottle. Like, I don't know. It just kind of seemed like, do you know where you are? This isn't a, like, this isn't a, I'm sorry the show sucks, but this isn't the place to like go demanding <laughs> stuff. <laughs> 
This is when you pay your dues and you just play the show and you move on and hope for the best at your yeah. next show. But I don't know. Again, like you, I don't want to take an ungrateful tone. Like, you know, you, you play shows and it's a privilege and sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's kind of a drag. Yeah. And even then, sometimes it's fun in the end. If you got, yeah, even if you got a product yeah. out with like a video, a good recording or something. Yeah. And I, but I will say that I, a high percentage of my favorite shows are, are house shows, are playing in grungy little rooms packed with people yeah. having a good time and none of like so much less of the overhead of a venue, a bar, uh, like a load in time and all, all this nonsense. Yeah. But it, it is a good word to spread out to if you, if you're in that position of, of setting up shows or playing shows, have some information together, maybe have like a, an idea of like the mix of genres you're working with and like the timing. Like, I don't know. It's, If you're planning anything, like have your stuff together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be given. You should have all of that anyway somewhere. So why don't give it to the band in advance if you if you are asking them to play there? Because if you message me and you say, "Hey, want to play a show Sunday?" I'm gonna reply with like eight questions. Yeah, and that's what we did, and we didn't get a reply back. So because <laughs> then they're like, "Ah, oh, I gotta fill out a questionnaire." Yeah. It's like this is yeah, way too hot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Planning that's just the beginning. Wait until we uh, show up there with our multi-car cable and be like, okay, we need these seven channels on your mixer. And yeah. then they say, we don't have a mixer. Or we don't have a PA <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, these things happen. <laughs> Do you guys have like an alternate setup to accommodate that of like, well... Well, we can go down to a stereo mix. That's it. Uh, so with, with the one band, we usually go like seven channels out. And if... They can provide that. Or if the other band, I don't know, takes up a lot of space on the mixer, we can always go down to two channels. And which is basically like if you were to play an MP3 player through the PA, but everything's still live. And with the yeah. other bands, we, I mean, we still need the vocals over the PA, but other than that, we're, it's a classic rock setup. So we wouldn't need a PA or mix if, uh, but if the like classic are good. rock, you mean yeah. you sound like Kiss? No, not no. <laughs> ACDC. Um, But it's uh, drums, two guitars, one bass, and then vocals. So it can it pretty much be loud by itself. Rock as possible. <laughs> yeah. Cool. There's one other bands playing shows topic thing I want to bring up. Is there's a a venue I won't call out by name here in Denver because there's no need to needlessly <laughs> anger a venue. But there's this venue that puts on these Sunday barbecue shows, as they call them, which is going to make it easy for someone to figure out what venue if they do some research. But Um, and what they do is they tend to, you know, it goes from like 3 p.m. to like midnight and they just line up like 10 bands and there's even less attention paid to genre mixes or anything. It's sort of like, let's just get a whole bunch of them in there and have a show. And, uh, in my experience, these are very poorly attended because they aren't focused and who wants 10 hours of music? You might come for one band that your friend's band and then you're going to leave which is already kind of can be a problem in shows in general is like people come for the band they want to see and they don't necessarily stick around for anything else. Well, it's even worse when it's like, Oh, they're going all day and there's 10 of them. No way we're going somewhere else. <laughs> um, and I don't know, we, I get invitations to do these every once in a while and yeah, I'm, I'm done with them. Don't want to go. <laughs> don't want to 
don't want to go play to the five friends that are generously supporting you. And I don't want to downplay that, but, um, yeah, it just gets frustrating. Like you set up this event that isn't appealing to a normal audience member and you weren't thinking about the audience much. It's more like, let's just, let's just line them up. This is like a factory farm of, yeah. of a show. And they're going to bring their fa- friends and family who are going to pay the admission and we're going to make some money off of them. Yeah. Because we've had but, some obvious uh, gigs that were like that, where they were just like, okay, everybody, each band is going to bring like 30 to 50 people. We're going to take all the money from, uh, I don't know, five euros for getting in. Yeah. And then the bands can, can drink for free. And I don't know. I feel like I'm selling my audience to them. Somewhere. Yeah. It, I think this is maybe a topic we'll have to revisit with more time later um, yeah. of just the whole attachment of venue and bar to live music and how that's kind of like a canonical thing, but maybe should be challenged more, should be turned over on its head a little more. I don't need to be at a bar to play music. No, <laughs> You can pretty much play anywhere. It's just that you're in hope that uh, if you're at the bar, that people are already there. So you get like an audience that's always there and then you get some people. I mean, it should mm-hmm. be a win-win situation where the band brings a few people, the, the venue has already has a few people there and then everything's fine. But most of the time it just doesn't turn out, turn out that way. Well, it's just some venues and I mean, there's obviously venues that are killing it and they've cultivated an audience and they put on good yeah. shows and they're, they're doing it right. But there, there's other ones that are just like, it's, it's like, Oh, this is hard. Let's not. Let's not put in the work to make this yeah. great. Oh, let's not do any promotion. Not even post it on yeah, our Facebook Yeah, let's make page. the bands have to do all the promotion. <laughs> and let's actually, let's have a minimum number of people they have to bring and let's tax them yeah. and punish them for not meeting that. And I don't know. Again, I don't want to sound like I'm whining, like I don't have to take responsibility for my own promotion. Oh, shit. I'm totally into that. <laughs> I love flyering and spreading the word and, and working hard on that. It's just, why can't the venue do it too? Yeah, I think that's enough of a rant about local gigs and local venues. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this article Steve Albini put out. So this is actually a video, a, a keynote he gave. Was this at a, an event? Yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about the event that it was at. But we got an Irish Times because link. In, instead of watching the video like a normal person, I actually read the. Uh, the transcript, so I can take. So this notes. was a yeah a keynote address at the Face the Music conference in Melbourne, yeah. Melbourne. So we got some Australia happening here. This is Steve Albini of Shellac, and he uh, published uh, the problem with music was a, an article he published back in the early '90s, kind of complaining about the state of the music industry and you know our label, major label control, and the whole um, lots of well-known facts about control of production, control of distribution, kind of forcing bands into a system that had little left to give them. And he's the, the interesting thing here is that Steve has updated his knowledge and actually is very positive about the music industry now. So we're now 20 years after the Internet has kind of destroyed um, at least the profitability of the old system, even if we're still living with a lot of it, a lot of its machinery. Um it's kind of upended, you know, distribution is cheap, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, it's the internet. You just put your stuff up there and it's everywhere. Um, people can listen to you without having to be, you know, there's not all these middlemen in between you and your listener. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, Steve was just, well, I think what I appreciate about this article is not that he's, you know, blowing my mind by saying the internet has changed music. It's more his level of detail. And you really, you should check out this. It's, it's about 7,000 words. It's not a short article, but he, he has examples constantly. It's, it's a very detailed examination of things we know, but we could know more deeply about how things have changed in the past 20 years. Yeah, especially that, that's the thing. He puts it all in contrast with how it worked in the seventies and eighties. And then the transition period that happened in the nineties with, uh, CDs showing up where production costs went down and then the internet shows up and kind of kills everything again from the perspective <laughs> of the, uh, the business guys. So, um, and yeah, as you said, he's pretty detailed and all that. It, I mean, it, as you just said, it, it all boils down to in the end that, uh, the internet came and cut out the middleman. So, now the audience and the, the the artists can interact directly, and that 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 is a good thing. I mean, I, I see I see that as well, but um, at the same time, for me, the I, I mean, I, I found that article on Reddit the other day, and everybody in common was like, "Yeah, he's telling it like it is and everything," but it all came down to I don't know stuff that we already kind of knew. But I mean, he articulate he articulated that in a pretty pretty good way so um i there, there was one snippet in the middle that i kind of liked there was um i'm sure it happens every day that a kid in one of those uh, far-flung places can find a new favorite band send that band a message and that singer of that band will read it and personally uh, personally reply to it from his cell phone half a world away i've heard that somewhere before <laughs> <laughs> and i would i would point out that our friendship actually is because of the internet it would just yeah. there's no way i would have ever met you unless traveling or really it's like the chances are so <laughs> vanishingly nothing that yeah. we would be having this conversation right now if it weren't for how it, the internet has changed music so that's wonderful that's awesome let's have more of that so in effect this podcast is kind of a product of what steve Albini is talking about in this in this keynote exactly i think the other thing i was really fascinating was the whole chain of promotion for bands in the old system yeah. of just like you're paying someone to pay someone else to play your music on the radio. Yeah. But like these limited stranglehold channels are so like, there's only so much space to, to actually play. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so many radio stations that these radio stations would basically fake it. They would play like rapid samples, like short little segments of different bands just to meet their quota of, yeah, yeah <laughs> we, we promoted this. And, you know, like those little like smash cuts you hear sometimes on the radio of like eight songs in a row. And like that would count as, yeah, we played the song. And so, you know, your record label would be like, so we promoted you. And you're, it's just like this really artificial thing that is propped up by all this extra money changing hands, but isn't really providing anything of value. I mean, the be I think the best thing is, yeah, we promoted you and you, you paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, there's people that will lament, yeah, royalties are down. It's, it's, a, you know, the traditional way of raking in money through albums or, or other traditional things is harder to do now. But there's also less bloat in the system. There's, there less isn't overhead. this whole, there isn't all this fat in the middle between you and your fans. And yeah, you got to work harder and you got to deal with the fact that there's a million bands out there, but you get to directly be in contact with the people and so i think that's a good trade-off it's it's a nice place to be in yeah that is true 
Um, the thing is that I think that he kind of glanced over that thing that, I mean, yeah, of course, it's easier to, to record yourself. It's, uh, easier to, to, to bring your album to people and, and promote yourself on the internet. I mean, let's not say it's easier. It's free. It's, yeah. uh, you, you still have to do a lot of work. And the thing is that now that everybody can do it, there's, I don't know. I don't like, I don't really like the word oversaturation because it sounds negative. And I mean, I'm in the same position that I can be, I can, I can say that I have the possibility to do all that. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know, bitch about it too much, but, mm -hmm. uh, with all, with all these bands now putting all their music, it's harder to get noticed now. Definitely. So, um, of course you have the possibility, but, uh, Back in the days, it was more like you have to know the right people or you have to, you have to get that one contract, that one record deal. And now it's, you have to have that one viral idea that is a hit on YouTube or Reddit or something. So you got to mm -hmm. think in a different way, but it's still hard. It's just free. Yeah. It's just, there's more, the ball is more in your court. Yeah. Like before it was really hard, but it also involved getting, you know, Before the money, the right person, yeah. paying the right person, knowing the right person, having the money. And now it's, yeah, I gotta have the right idea and the right time and execute it. And to be sure, some of those advantages are still there. It's always an advantage to know the right yeah. people to the, you know, the people that can push you into channels that, at the right place and the right time. But there, there is a, I like to think of it as like now there's like every niche has a chance at finding a global audience to a greater degree than ever before. So you have this weird little corner that you're you're playing in artistically and maybe in your town or your state or your nation there's only a thousand or you know 5000 people that would be into it which isn't anything to sneeze at like if you could have a 5000 person audience that's awesome yeah <laughs> but globally there might be a million people that are into what you're doing if only they could hear it yeah. and that's something it. that is now possible is you can find your global audience It's at least something I'm hoping to hit on at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I said, you gotta have that one idea, that, that one thing where you just break into, I don't know, the scene or something. So, I mean, but now there's, there's a thousand different venues for that. So before we only had radio, we had maybe MTV, but let's be honest, if you, if you weren't already a big artist, you wouldn't even have to think about that. So you had radio and maybe the local record star, which might, sell your records to people who don't really know you or do know you. But now you've got YouTube, you've got, um, I don't know, podcasts, blogs, you can maybe get into the soundtrack of an indie game or something, which I know a lot of artists have made success from. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, the possibilities are kind of endless now. And, uh, you have to know just where the, where your audience is. And have the right idea. I mean, I'm, it sounds like I would have any idea how to do that because then it would have worked already. But um, yeah. I can see the possibilities there. It's just now, you, okay, so you got to now invest your work. But it just all sounded like in, in this keynote, it sounded a bit like a walk in the park at first. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I wouldn't want to downplay that. Not to sound like you just got to work hard and you'll surely yeah. succeed. Like, I'm not saying that, but it never hurts to be consistent, to deliver, to just always follow through on what you're doing and uh, i've known a, a lot of artists i've been the artist that's just like you know like oh i'm smart i'm talented i i can do this but if i'm not actually finishing something and shipping yeah. <laughs> something it doesn't matter how much potential you think you have or or other people tell you you have if if you're not 
at the end of the day, you do have to sit down and actually produce something and, and put it out there. Yeah. And most of the people I see succeeding are people that are putting shit out there consistently. Yeah. And, you know, you can't just rest on one thing you put out, you know, a while back and be like, someone's just going to stumble on this diamond in the rough. That reminds me that the last album I released is three years, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Oh, the last full album. <laughs> I guess I added the film soundtrack. Yeah. So that's what I'm resting. That's the laurel I'm currently <laughs> resting on. But as far as like actually a, a set of my original music, it's been two or three years myself. Yeah. And I'm getting that itch of like, come on, come on, yeah, pull something too. together. <laughs> Gotta do something again. And then we can, we can actually, uh, just talk about how the way we try to promote it, what works, what didn't work. I mean, that's, that's kind of something we could probably investigate then yeah. and, uh, have like, then we have some current on hand experience, not like yeah, two or maybe. three years ago when we made all the mistakes that you shouldn't make. Yeah. We should, we should take a lot of these aspects piecemeal and talk about what we've done from flyering yeah. to how do you actually promote something online and what are your local strategies and all this. Um, hope to tackle in, in future episodes. So maybe it's a good time to shift to our one of our ongoing segments that we'll be re revisiting all the time is our pick of the week. So with pick of the week, we hope to to single out uh, songs, sounds, bands, or even just little tiny moments of songs or any kind of sound production where you're just like, yes, that is awesome. Or stuff that you're just like, that's terrible. Why did they do this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, I, didn't, I didn't even think of that angle. Next time you're gonna have yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe let's start positive. Maybe we shouldn't uh, <laughs> shouldn't be negative. Um, but do you want to take it away? What's your pick of the week? Ah, uh, sure. So uh, just a tiny bit of backstory uh, in that regard. That um, recently I spent some time in hospital. I had a rather serious illness. And, um, of course it all brings you down psychologically a bit. So, um, when I got out again, I had a, I had the possibility again to listen to music all day long to, to some new music, not, uh, not just that, uh, not just what I had on my phone at the time when I was in hospital. So I rediscovered one of the bands that I first listened to at the beginning of the year, which is called Future Islands. And it's one of those bands that just have to grow on you because there's, there's that little something in there that you think that, oh, that, that's kind of weird. And then, but the rest of it is solid. And then you, you listen again, you listen again, and then you suddenly notice like, yeah, no, that's, that's some good shit. Seriously. So, um, as a kind of representative of, of that band, I, I chose the song Spirit and we're going to put that in our show notes. So. And maybe um, we can listen to a little bit of it here for a second. Just a little bit. Well, as I said, so I, so I got out of hospital and started listening to music again. And then, uh, I don't know, on, on my Spotify radio or random, suddenly that, that song popped up. And, uh, now here in Germany, I mean, of course it's winter, but for some reason the sun is showing 
like all the time. So uh, it's shining all the time. So I kind of got in that to that second summer feeling and that feeling of freedom and easiness and all that. And, and I think that that song kind of carries that emotion a little bit. I mean, even in the lyrics and all that. So I've been listening to it maybe three or four times a day, which is not a healthy amount if you don't want it, <laughs> want that song to annoy you a week later. But yeah. It's just that, that really, that moment, that song captures, uh, this feeling of now this shit is over. I'm, I can live a relatively normal life right now. And, uh, it's just the personal experience I had with that song. And I mean, the, the, the band is really awesome. So it's, uh, you, the setup is you've got a, you got a drummer, at least for life. I think it's just three people, the, the keyboard, the bassist and the singer, but for life, they're joined by a, some drummer. I do want to call out cause you sent me a, yeah. a live a studio performance of yeah, this from song. The radio. And their bass player is really good. Yeah. He's awesome. He, he's, he's fun to watch. Group. Yeah. It, it, a very professional sound and how he's playing. It's, it's very solid. And then, and then dat arpeggio. That, dat arpeggio. So, so the, uh, the keyboard, it, it sounds a bit, so the keyboard makes it sound a bit like 80 synth pop from time to time, which for me is a good thing. And then you come to the singer. Um, I just got to quickly look up his name again. So, um, he's got an aura to him that is really unique. So, um, okay. Even Wikipedia lists them as synth pop. I didn't know what to make of him when he started singing. It, it wasn't what I expected. And I think that's something I'd have to grow into of appreciating what he does on vocals. Because yeah. your initial thought is like, oh, I wanted like a pretty voice. Yeah. Like a really traditionally pretty voice over this. And he's doing something different. <laughs> yeah, that's just why it had to grow on me. So, uh, it's Samuel Herring, the name. So, uh, in that, in that, uh, performance that I, uh, that I, we've put in the show notes, he's, uh, he's not doing his usual, I guess, dance he's doing. So he, he's, as I said, he's got a, very special appearance on stage. I think we should put uh, a link to the Letterman uh, yeah, appearance can, there. Yeah, we can as link well, to that. Because I don't even want to explain every, anything. I don't want to take anything away. You just have to watch this. And people are, either you hate it or you really love it. First yeah. thought was, oh, what the fuck? And then it was, oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy has moves. So, <laughs> uh, and then I go, went on that crusade through YouTube and tried to find every live video I can find because <laughs> that guy never repeats a single move. And yeah, uh, he's a, it's, it's just a real jazz watch. artist in terms of his stage presence. <laughs> yeah. I really got to say it's one of the few bands that I would honestly buy a ticket as soon as I knew they were in, in the area here. Yeah. So future islands, I, I'm just going to say watch the video, watch the, the letter of man experience. Uh, exp- yeah. Watch the Letterman yeah. appearance and enjoy. And I feel like we need to come up with a term for that list of like exclusive list of artists when you're like the second you know they're coming near you, you're like, yep. Yeah. Like there's almost no price I'm not willing to pay yeah, to see true. that artist. Insta ticket or Insta ticket. I like that. Insta ticket. <laughs> this is Insta ticket approved artist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for my pick of the week, I'm going to go retro. Um, I'm going to go with a video game soundtrack, the, the soundtrack to Zelda 2. And before I say anything about it, maybe just check out this little sample of some of the tunes in that game.
So what I love about Zelda 2's soundtrack is the way it uses sort of these old 8-bit tricks to simulate delay and then also the tremolo on a lot of the, the, the tunes in this game is, I mean, honestly, there's tons of nostalgia goggles going on. Um, and I, I just love these songs. Um, I've listed a bunch here in our show notes. Um, and we'll, we'll provide links to, to hear the whole tunes, but, um, just the, the way the, 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 that they use those elements in the limited form in 8-bit is still influential to me. When I go, when I write anything synthy, inevitably something Zelda 2-ish comes <laughs> to the forefront or is involved somehow. And it's usually some kind of delay and tremolo happening in my life. But that even just right at the beginning of the title screen, this little four note, loop that just keeps trickling down as you, you know, the, the camera shows the mountains and the waterfall and the logo inevitably shows up. Or actually, there's no waterfall in Zelda 2. It's Zelda 1 that has the waterfall. But, you know, there's a sword in the rock and it's just like, I don't know, all the feels that you could ever have. <laughs> but the other thing I, I note is when I used to have a keyboard on stage for genetic engines... Um, whenever I'd have to sound check, you always want to have something you're going to play that's not necessarily exactly your song that you want to spoil for your audience. And I, I, there's this track from the Zelda 2 soundtrack called In the Room. It's when you're inside a house in the village. And it's just like, you know, it's like most 8-bit soundtracks. It's a really short loop. It's basically two chords. And it just kind of loops back and forth between those two chords. And it's just gorgeous. And I would always play it because it was a nice, like... When you just start getting good at two-handed keyboard stuff, it's a it's a good song for that because your left hand will be doing a a three-note chord arpeggio back and forth while your right hand has to do the melody, and it's it's just fun. So I thought I'd call out Zelda Two as one of the foundational. You know, whatever you think of the game, as a game, it's kind of seen as lesser in the Zelda canon, and. So maybe it's not going to be part of video game history quite as much as other Zelda games, but I think as a soundtrack, it's phenomenal. Well, now I got to go listen to that because I got to yeah. be honest, I have never played Zelda 2. I think it's so me and my brother, Justin, have a way of talking about games like Zelda 2 or Simon's Quest, the second Castlevania game. And I think the way I like to think of it is it's a game that was important and influential for expanding the idea of what adventure games could do. It just doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah. Like it's just frustrating now. Um, it's Zelda it's the 2, experimental song that other people draw influence from. Yeah, because Zelda Two has so many good gameplay elements. It has up thrust and down thrust, and like this whole jump slash thing that is still used today in games. Um, just. Even just sort of just expanding, because in 8-bit eight, eight games, we're almost all following an arcade model of, like, you have levels. And this was way more like, no, there's a world. Go explore the world. And, yeah, today there's all these annoyances, like, oh, how often can I save? Oh, these <laughs> enemies are just really hard. You made this game too hard. I'm going to take too much steps and another enemy's going to appear. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you you step back too far and they reappear. But um, I'd say with an emulator... And save states, you could you could make it through, but it gets really hard. And I know this isn't really supposed to be a video game podcast, but it's hard not to gush. I mean, we both draw influence from a lot of video game soundtracks, so it's bound to happen yeah. that we mention video games from time to time. And for all its flaws, the the feeling of you're fighting one of these knights, I think they're called Dark Nuts, but I don't remember exactly what they're called. I think they're called Dark Nuts, uh, yeah. 
Um, they've got a shield and a sword, but you have to do, the only way to really consistently hit them is to jump and slash at them as you fall onto them or near them. And that, the feeling of doing that is so perfect. Like if, you know, whatever's wrong with the game, <laughs> uh, Matt just sent me a picture of dark nuts, um, literal dark nuts. So anyway, I can be done talking about Zelda too, but <laughs> Very influential soundtrack. Well, this is about all we had pulled together for today's show, and we, we are excited to explore some of these topics in more detail as we go forward. But we thought we would wrap this one up uh, to make it short and sweet and uh, focused. And so you can find my stuff. I'm Mike Edwards out of Denver, Colorado. And you can find my music online at michaeledwards.bandcamp.com and also my band Genetic Engines at geneticengines.bandcamp.com or on Twitter at Medwards Music. Uh, and Matt, where can people find you? Um, you can find my stuff from my bands on uh, theastray.de. It's DE, but the website is actually in English, so uh, no worries. Uh, Salt the Skies, you can find them on facebook.com slash Salt the Skies. And you can find me on Twitter at Echolox, which is E-C-H-O-L-O-X. And you can find show notes and links to all the things we talked about today at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces. And if you want this specific episode, just add a one at the end and uh, you'll be able to check out all the stuff we talked about. Couldn't be easier. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.